Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining the National CMB Foundation's podcast. My name is Kalia Fleming, and I excitedly serve as the Executive Director of the National CMB Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus, or CMV infection, is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the U.S., affecting more than 30,000 children per year. And this is a quite timely conversation as March is Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. So at the National CMB Foundation, we are extremely dedicated and passionate about preventing pregnancy loss, childhood death, and disability due to congenital CMV. Our podcast series highlights advocacy, education, industry, and scientific advances in the CMB space and community, bringing congenital cytomegalovirus to the forefront of the conversation. We are super excited about today's episode, which is brought to you by Moderna. And today we have the wonderful pleasure of chatting with Megan Pesch, president-elect of the National CMV Foundation. She's also the assistant professor of developmental and behavioral pediatrics at the University of Michigan, where she is the director of the Congenital CMV Developmental Follow-Up Clinic. I'm super excited to be co-hosting this episode with the wonderful Jennifer Jinks, who is um, one of our National CMV Foundation Associate Board Members. So thank you, Jenny, for co-hosting with me today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And we're just going to jump right into the conversation. And so, Megan, just to kick us off, um, we talked a little bit about your role and title at the University of Michigan, but you also happen to be a CMV parent. And so we wanted to start the conversation off about developmental disabilities and your experience as a CMV parent, what you've seen, what you've witnessed, what you lived through, and how that plays out in your work. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be here. So um, a little bit of background about me. So um, I have been a pediatrician. Well, I don't know. Gosh, it's been... It's been a long time since I've been a pediatrician. So I did my pediatric residency after med school. So that's three years of training just in pediatrics. And then after that, I did a uh, fellowship. So three more years in developmental and behavioral pediatrics. So in that fellowship, um, really, I learned about how to diagnose and care for children who have uh, developmental delays, disabilities, or, you know, are at higher risk for those um, delays or disabilities. And um, so that has been my bread and butter (laughs) as far as my job goes for uh, quite some time. Um, I was not really too aware of congenital CMV until my daughter was born uh, three years ago. So I'm I'm sort of new to the CMV space. Um, she, so I should say before she was born, I had heard about congenital CMV and we had learned about it in my training, but it was really just like, you know, one of the letters and an acronym that we would have to almost like memorize uh, to pass our boards. And I knew that babies were born looking like the blueberry muffin babies, you know, with the rash and that they were very sick and had hearing loss. Like those were the facts that were in my head, which I mean, some of them are, but I think that, you know, now I realize that's probably like three to five percent of all babies with CMB. But um, I just mentioned that because really this CMV is not um, 
emphasized in medical education or pediatric education or developmental behavioral subspecialty education. So um, there is just a lot of work we have to do. So my daughter was born in 2018, and uh, we found out when she was two months old that she had uh, bilateral profound sensory neural hearing loss. And at that time, I was told that it was most likely not CMV, um, most likely genetic, which, you know, actually that is the most common cause of uh, neonatal hearing loss, but CMV is second most common. Um, and then, you know, long story short, when she was about four months old, we found out through testing that yes, indeed it was congenital CMV. So, um, you know, having gone through that process as a parent and then, you know, also as a provider who, you know, I feel like, gosh, if I didn't know about CMV, who did? Or who who can possibly? Uh, so you know that's kind of what has brought me to the foundation and to really kind of pivot my work to help identify babies with CMV earlier, and then to really do whatever we can to help with their development. So now in my clinical role, it's it's super fun. I just love working with my CMV families. Although, you know, the goal, of course, in everything is to eliminate CMV and put myself out of work in that regard. Um, but I see kids with, um, you know, a whole range of disabilities and a lot of kids who do really, really well with CMV. That's important to remember, too. Um, but kids with cerebral palsy, epilepsy, feeding problems, of course, hearing loss is a big one, um, and developmental delays. So that's that's what I do now. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, while we're on the topic of, of your work really related to um, CMV and some of the uh, potential outcomes of CMV infection related to development, um, can you tell us a little bit more about what some of these signs are uh, for CMV infection um, and some of the, specifically some of the, these developmental disabilities that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, most babies with CMV, they're just, they just look absolutely perfect at birth. And, you know, all, all babies are perfect at birth, even if they're sick. I, I always think, you know, CMV is so terrible, but one of the things that it does is it, you know, robs families of that, you know, those beautiful first few months of life that are supposed to be so normal and bonding. And, you know, with CMV, there's just this fear and um, grief and there's so much unknown. Um, so I always really empathize with families and that. That's, how, that's certainly how it was for me. So babies who are born with congenital CMV, most of them look absolutely perfect and healthy. So I think a really big message and a big misperception out there is that babies with CMV look sick, but most of them do not. Um, some signs that uh, are associated with CMV uh, can include a baby who is a bit smaller, we call it small for gestational age, or that have smaller head sizes, microcephaly. Um, babies that have certain findings on brain imaging, if they got an ultrasound or an MRI, things like calcifications or um, white matter uh, lesions, areas that haven't quite matured uh, in the brain. 
Uh, babies can have a rash called a petechial rash. Um, it's like little, almost like pinpoint spots all over their body. Um, that's kind of what gave, it's nicknamed a blueberry muffin rash. Um, babies can be jaundiced and have enlarged livers and spleens. And then hearing loss is a big one. And we see hearing loss in kids with CMV who um, are otherwise extremely healthy. And so sometimes, you know, we'll talk about the symptomatic versus asymptomatic CMV, which you know, is really kind of this arbitrary (laughs) delineation, it seems, um, because a lot of kids are somewhere in between. But um, even kids who have no other signs or symptoms of CMV at birth or uh, later can develop hearing loss. So that's um, something really important to look out for. When when I see these kids in clinic, there are definitely certain things I keep an eye out for developmentally. So it's really important for me to be able to get an idea of if they have any visible brain involvement of their CMV. Meaning like if I did an ultrasound, which you just do through the soft spot. So it's really, there's no radiation. The baby just gets like kind of a gunky head, but otherwise like it's a really quick test. Um, So to see if there's any calcifications or brain differences that might make me think that, you know, this baby's brain development, this baby's brain development may have been somehow altered by this virus. And, you know, when there are visible changes in, in the brain, that makes me a little bit more suspicious or have a closer eye for uh, things like um, gross motor delays, feeding problems, um, uh, seizures, um, you know, th- things like things like that. Um, so when the babies are rid- really little, um, the most important thing that I look for is whether or not they're uh, eating well. And not just for growth, but if they can manage to, you know, drink from a bottle or a breast and coordinate those 26 muscles with that swallowing and sucking mechanism. To me, I think that is um, a reassuring sign that even though things might not be perfect, if their brain is already doing that really complex coordination, you know, that that's something that I look for. Um, If they have trouble with that, you know, that can be kind of a, a more concerning sign. Um, As they get a little bit older, kids with CMV can have um, gross motor delays. So delays in walking or even like holding their head up, sitting, crawling, all all along that spectrum. And um, even kids who don't have um, cerebral palsy, which is like a, a static muscular kind of gross motor delay where one or it's not even a delay. It's like an injury. So it's not getting better. It's a brain injury that causes muscles um, to either be like really tense or um, kind of floppy. Um, but even kids who don't have that, like an official diagnosis or even meet that criteria, I just find that kids with CMV are a little floppier, <laughs> a little bit like have lower tone. And so I find that uh, kids with CMV often can walk a little bit later um, and do some of those gross motor things a little bit later, but most of them get there. So 
Like my, my daughter didn't walk until she was 20 months and that was with a ton of physical therapy. Um, and she's still loosey goosey, but she got there. So I, I, you know, some kids will be wheelchair dependent um, or, ha- or gosh, sorry, I shouldn't say wheelchair dependent. That's um, an outdated term. Um, I should say some kids will um, require wheeled mobility and, um, but you know, most kids will walk and talk and run and climb, um, but they just might do it on their own schedule. And I'll just say the, the last thing that I really look for in my patients with CMV is autism. Um, you know, the, the research studies that have been done on this have not been very good to date. Like there just haven't been too many of them. But there have been some, particularly from Italy, that have found a higher incidence or, um, yeah, a higher incidence of congenital CMV in kids with autism. And I feel like in my kids with known CMV, I see it all the time. Um, so I, I'm always kind of cautious when I make that association because right now the research is not very conclusive, is not conclusive on that. You know, the research hasn't said CMV causes autism, you know, in those kids. But I feel like I often see it in clinic and I hear from it, you know, on the like, <laughs> on like the CMV mommies like Facebook group and um, it's out there. So I keep a close eye on these kids and I always say like to their parents, like I'm not going to fully trust them until they like prove to me <laughs> that they, you know, don't have, you know, that kind of disability or even those delayed skills. Um, yeah. No, and I think I think that's good. And you brought up a lot of good points. And something that stood out to me with what you said was key phrasing, somewhere in between, right? We know that there is late onset of a slew of things that could happen in the case of a CMV-infected child. And that somewhere in between, that wording just stuck with me. And so it led me to think about, as we often talk about, right, this this odyssey that folks go through mm-hmm. families to try to, you know, correlate care, treatment. When do I go for what, here, when? Tell us a little bit about the diagnostic odyssey when it comes to developmental disability. Yeah, totally. So gosh, it is a long road for families, especially families who aren't already plugged in um, in in a lot of ways. And it's it's good when babies have known risk factors. For instance, they're very premature or if we, you know... we happen to know about their congenital CMV. So if they have somebody watching them really closely from the beginning, then even though it is not easy for the families, I think it can be easier to kind of start that process of getting people, getting like the healthcare team to take a closer look, to be concerned, to make those referrals, um, whatever the issue may be. But for a lot of families... Um, you know, you don't know if the so they might not know of risks or there might not be any um any risks that are ever identified. So usually what happens is um a either the pediatrician will pick something up on a well child check 
um, when they do their developmental screening or often, you know, the parents will come in and say like, I feel like this might be a little bit off. Uh, I, I feel, I actually feel like this has been a great thing about social media and apps and all of all of that that have really become more and more popular and prevalent, especially in the parenting space over the, you know, the last decade or so, is there's a lot more information out there in the hands of parents about what is quote unquote normal. And I will say there is a range of what is typical. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think parents have a lot more uh, data that they can look at if they're curious or concerned that their child might be delayed. And when I think about delays, you know, I think about there's something we call like global developmental delay, meaning you're delayed, a child is delayed in uh, at least two domains of development. So we think of like um, speech and language. Um, fine motor. So that can be like grabbing things, feeding yourself, eventually writing, dressing, things like that. Gross motor. That's one we talk about and look at for babies a lot. So the rolling over, crawling, walking, um, uh, cognitive or problem solving. And then, you know, there are other areas like, um, feeding or um, I guess feeding is a really <laughs> big one for babies. Um, so those are kind of the areas that we see delays in. So it can be one or it could be it could be several. Um, and sometimes babies will uh, like my daughter, for instance, she, you know, she couldn't hear at all for the first year of her life. So cognitively and she, can problem solve age appropriately, but her her language is so far behind. So babies can be almost like asynchronous or out of um, out of sync in their development. So families, they typically the pediatrician could make a referral either for specific therapies um, to target like gross motor, physical therapy, or speech therapy, um, and then. There is the question about why or what is causing this. And so it really depends on the the issue. Some kids will get sent maybe to a neurologist to look into if there's kind of a neurological issue going on. Um, Some kids will be sent to genetics or developmental pediatrics or, you know, it just, it really depends on the issue. But then they wait for that appointment and then that subspecialist, you know, often orders more tests, you know, imaging, more referrals, more therapy. And so families often kind of get bounced around as, you know, the medical team is really trying to figure out like what, what is causing this and is there something else that we should be doing, you know, other than physical therapy or occupational therapy um, because the why can inform the medical care, not just to kind of put a label on it, but to, to make sure that we are really thinking about everything that the child and family could need. So it, it in some ways, it's like a lifelong process. I mean, in CMV, we diagnose the CMV and then we, you know, figure out kind of how severely affected a baby is 
but then you just don't know how they're going, you know, how they're going to develop. So that journey of different subspecialists and tests and watching and waiting is, is really like, it can go on for years and years. It sounds like it's like a, a just ongoing merry-go-round type thing. And it's a lot of watchful waiting. Mm-hmm. And so you named a lot of touch points along the journey, this specialist, this referral. What do you think, in your opinion, how can we maybe mitigate and or just better align folks who work in different silos? How can we kind of just work jointly or better in this capacity to help ease some of this whole odyssey? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. And I think a lot of a lot of physicians are struggling with that. You know, in in my CMV clinic, I have kind of taken that on personally as one of my jobs. I say to the primary care physician, like, I am going to quarterback this kid's care, um, you know, for the first three years of their life and make sure they're getting all the evaluations. And if they're on a wait list too long, you know, I will have my office call because it's, it's like, it's unfair that the families have to manage this and that we should expect them to know how to navigate a system and what questions to ask. But, you know, really, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of like health systems and pediatricians, they're just like over, I don't know if overburdened is the right word because a lot of this can be for-profit medicine. So I would say that the resources have not been made available to prioritize this. In some um, healthcare systems, there are care managers, um, social workers that can really be like the touch point for um, parents. Um, but it is it is a huge issue. and. Um, the things that need to get done in a timely matter for my kid. Um, because for CMV and a lot of these other issues, it, you can't find that all in one place very easily. Even pediatricians, you know, there aren't great guidelines specific for primary care pediatricians. So, you know, in a way, we're trying to fill that gap, at least where we can for CMV. Um, as part of our work from the foundation. Yeah, actually following up on what you're, you've just been talking about, some of the, I guess, like bigger picture efforts uh, to increase awareness and um, to share resources with f- uh, patients and their families who are affected by CMV infection. Can you talk about what some of the uh, planned efforts are, the focal areas by the National CMV Foundation to increase awareness? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have been reaching out to, well, gosh, we, we're we doing everything. <laughs> I have to say, we are very busy. Um, so we do a lot of um, talking to different professionals. I recently did uh, a course, a series for audiologists and speech language pathologists. And there were 500 people on that course, which is so exciting. Um, So really just getting the word out about CMV. And I tell you, every talk I give, it is just unbelievable the 
number of people who come up to me and say, I have never heard of CMB. I have been in this field for so long, or I didn't know that kids could develop hearing loss later on associated with CMB. So I think while, of course, we are working on educating the general public, getting word out to women, also getting the word out to healthcare providers because they touch so many lives is super, super important. Um, we are working on increasing our resources on the website in terms of um, things that parents can uh, reference. Also, healthcare providers could reference if they don't really know where to go to find information about CMV. No, and I also think, <laughs> and I know, like, we're doing so much. It's all, like, running together. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, you know, also highlighting, you know, what's up and coming. So we are planning mm-hmm. a webinar in June featuring you, Megan, for mm-hmm. the Society for Birth Defects Research and Prevention. So as we talk about developmental disabilities, we're aligning ourselves with these organizations and societies who do work in this space to make sure that we are getting the word out to other healthcare providers providers, hey, this is something to look forward to and, you know, investigate and explore further, but also making sure that we're also doing the same on a broader scale to the general public as well. So I would advise everyone, um, you know, more information will come on that June webinar. But again, we are partnering with the Society for Birth Defects Research and Prevention um, to make sure that this information is also shared through their channels. And as Megan mentioned, you know, the website, we're uploading and revising educational materials that folks can use and access, and more should be coming soon related to developmental disabilities. So we're really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Megan, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I, I think you got it. I think we've we've covered it. There's There's still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. And we thank you so much for all of your efforts in this space and for helping us to further our mission and move this work along. And every webinar, every recording, every conference, every you know presentation that's giving, I think helps to move the needle forward. So we're grateful for your efforts and your leadership. Um, and we're grateful for the work that you do in this space. And I would just like to remind folks listening in, um, please be sure to check out our website, nationalcmv.org, for additional information and resources that you can use in your communities, use with your healthcare providers, um, with your family and friends as well. We have a wealth of information on there, and we want to make sure we remind folks that's, that it's readily available. Also, when you go to nationalcmv.org, you can stay up to date and abreast of upcoming activities and events. So please make sure that you stay tuned to our website and our social media channels to stay up to date on the activities we're doing and to make sure you stay connected and looped in to the great work of folks like Dr. Megan Pesh and foundation team members as a whole. Thank you everyone so much for listening.